This is Chapter 3 of Mark Twain, His Life and Work, a Biographical Sketch. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Mark Twain, His Life and Work, a Biographical Sketch by William M. Clemens. Chapter 3 In Nevada and California. Read by John Greenman. Chapter 3 In Nevada and California. At the outbreak of the Civil War, Mark Twain was a regularly employed pilot on the river steamboat Alonzo Childs. He remained at the wheel until the craft was converted into a Confederate ram, the opening of the war having put an end to profitable piloting. Young Clemens, at the age of twenty-four years, returned to Hannibal, and enlisted as a three-months volunteer in the Confederate Army under General Price. In a magazine article printed some years since, he related his experience as a soldier in a paper entitled The Private History of a Campaign That Failed. The following is his account of the organization of the company. I was visiting in the small town where my boyhood had been spent, Hannibal, Marion County. Several of us got together in a secret place by night and formed ourselves into a military company. One Tom Lyman, a young fellow of a good deal of spirit, but of no military experience, was made captain. I was made second lieutenant. We had no first lieutenant. I do not know why. It was long ago. There were fifteen of us. By the advice of an innocent connected with the organization, we called ourselves the Marion Rangers. I do not remember that any one found fault with the name. I did not. I thought it sounded quite well. The young fellow who proposed this title was perhaps a fair sample of the kind of stuff we were made of. He was young, ignorant, good-natured, well-meaning, trivial, full of romance, and given to reading chivalric novels and singing forlorn love-ditties. He had some pathetic little nickel-plated aristocratic instincts, and detested his name, which was Dunlap. Detested it partly because it was nearly as common in that region as Smith, but mainly because it had a plebeian sound to his ear. So he tried to ennoble it by writing it in this way, d unlap that contented his eye but left his ear unsatisfied for people gave the new name the same old pronunciation emphasis on the front end of it he proved useful to us in his way he named our camps for us and he generally struck a name that was no slouch as the boys said Having been a pilot, and therefore knowing the channel, and being familiar with the points where steamboats would have to hug the shore, Lieutenant Clemens was detailed to special duty on the river. He was captured and paroled. Being captured a second time, he was sent to St. Louis, and imprisoned in a tobacco warehouse. He got to thinking the matter over, the possibility of being sent to Grant's army, by which he was first captured to be exchanged, and by which, if recognized, he would certainly be shot for a violation of his parole. He finally succeeded in making his escape, and started westward. 
president lincoln had appointed james w nye as governor of nevada and orion clemens an older brother of samuel was selected as territorial secretary by the president sam joined his brother at carson city in the capacity of private secretary but fearing that the influence of his brother would not be sufficient to save him if he should be recognized by passing officers or soldiers of the union army he did not remain long in carson but pushed on to an out-of-the-way mining camp called aurora where he remained until he fancied the storm had blown over while in aurora he wrote a series of letters to the virginia city enterprise which subsequently resulted in his obtaining an editorial position upon that journal nevada at that time was swarming with adventurers bankrupt tradesmen were flocking there from other territories college graduates tired of grubbing for greek roots went there to grub for gold and silver murderers and thieves escaped from justice gamblers and the outcasts from the cities joined the throng and society became very lively in the mining towns of the territory the fashionable ornaments of the day consisted of an eight-inch revolver an arkansas toothpick and jackboots in the mining regions mark twain passed through diverse experiences he worked at day's wages in a quartz mill and was explorer and prospector many of his sketches afterward incorporated in the jumping frog and roughing it were published at that time in local or eastern journals once for the space of a few moments he owned the famous comstock load and was worth millions he found out all this after he had sold the claim during the winter of eighteen sixty one sixty two he returned to carson city for a time there was little doing at the territorial capital and in the rear of governor nye's private office was a comfortable room where clemens and the other attaches of the offices whiled away the winter days at cards and story-telling in the spring of eighteen sixty two he accepted the local editorship of the virginia city enterprise and upon that paper utilized for the first time his pseudonym of mark twain he perpetrated many broad and practical jokes through his paper his sharp pen caused a man named willis then city editor of the virginia union to hunting up his record this resulted in clemens sending willis a challenge to mortal combat willis would not accept for he said he would not meet anyone on the field of honor except a man of honor his best man then challenged clemens but he too declined on the same ground given by willis at that time dueling had just been made popular by a meeting between tom fitch the silver-tongued orator and joseph t goodman editor of the enterprise but the matter was dropped and mark twain and willis never met upon the field of honor about the year eighteen sixty three says robert fulford i was a printer on the virginia city enterprise and mark was on the local staff mark and i roomed together across the divide in a place known as gold hill about a mile from virginia city he was a droll dry sort of a fellow delighted in practical jokes and the boys had to be constantly on the alert for fear of some new scheme he would spring upon them 
a club of good fellows was organized in virginia city by mark twain dan de quill frank may lewis aldrich and others under the name of the visigoths and they carried their practical jokes to such an extent that they gained a somewhat unfavorable reputation while in virginia city some miners came down from calaveras and told mark twain about the miners there loading a frog up with shot and it was a fact in those days the men in the camps would bet about anything and one day they got to betting about how far some frogs could jump they conceived the idea of filling one of the rival frogs with shot and did it and the frog couldn't jump mark wrote out the story for the enterprise and in this way the jumping frog of calaveras first saw the light of day many interesting anecdotes are told of the humorist's life in virginia city and he tells one himself of how the funniest thing he ever wrote came to an untimely end and was lost to the world through the interference of an editorial compositor in nevada at that time it was the custom of the proprietor of every new saloon to send a basket of his choicest wines to the newspaper office and for the editor to return the compliment by giving a glowing account of the brilliancy of the affair a basket of unusually choice wine had been sent to the office one day from a saloon of a very aristocratic order that was to be opened mark was to write up the opening he wrote a few lines in the best of english and then it began to be badly mixed and as he represented bottle after bottle as having been sampled approved and emptied he drifted into worse and worse confusion until finally the article was all tangled up as might be supposed of a man who had drank a basket of mixed wines when the paper came out mark could not find his cherished article but instead found a short paragraph setting forth in the most commonplace way that a basket of wines had been received from mr and that they were very fine etc mark was mad and found that one of the printers was responsible the fellow said he could not make head or tail of the copy and thought mr clemens must have been drunk when he wrote it so he tore it up and substituted the paragraph the humorist mourned long for the loss of the article which he could not reproduce and to this day believes that it was the most brilliant of any of his productions even before or since during this period in his career mark gave to the world many of the short humorous sketches that made him famous he had already acquired a name on the pacific coast and his newspaper articles were beginning to attract attention east of the rocky mountains among these sketches were the undertaker's chat the petrified man and the marvelous bloody massacre some of the quaintest and brightest things which have appeared under his name originally enlivened the pages of the enterprise with its crimson catalogue of murders duels and judge lynch executions in eighteen sixty three the gould and curry mine on the comstock paid dividends amounting to one hundred dollars to a hundred and fifty dollars a share whenever a dividend was declared the san francisco bulletin after announcing the fact would add wonder if this dividend was cooked 
a certain san francisco capitalist being in virginia city one day after one of these monthly queries told the cause of them it is a fact that one mining company had hired money and declared a dividend this was the dana mine which never had a foot of ore but the dividends raised the price of the stock to a respectable figure at which the owners thereof disposed of their stock this san francisco capitalist stated that this swindle had caught the proprietors of that journal somewhat heavily but he added if the bulletin wants to find a company nearer home which is borrowing money to pay dividends i can give you an instance in point the spring valley water company has hired money to pay its two last dividends and all the big fish are getting out and letting the little fish in perhaps that might attract that journal's indignation also twain and another writer employed on the enterprise counseled together on the improbability of a plain notice of the fact of the spring valley water company's hiring money to pay dividends made as it must be in a country journal would attract any notice whatever in the metropolitan press accordingly in order to overcome the difficulty surrounding the country location the matter was held under advisement for one day much to the disgust of the san francisco capitalist on the second day mark announced that he had surmounted the country difficulty and sure enough he had accordingly in the local columns of the enterprise the next morning appeared an account of a terrible tragedy that had been committed in the great pine forest between empire city and dutch nicks the day before the story went on to state that a man named hopkins who resided there and who had owned millions in the comstock had been induced to sell out his entire mining interests by a relative of his who was one of the editors of the bulletin by the same advice he had invested every dollar in the spring valley water company and on learning that its two last dividends had been paid with borrowed money he became so violently insane that he murdered his wife and thirteen children under the impression that they would come to immediate want the next day mark published a card in which he took it all back except the way the money had been procured to pay the dividends and adding that it took a fearful tragedy to get any truth into a san francisco newspaper anyhow j h stebbins an old-time printer relates the following incident of twain's life in virginia city clemens was local reporter on the enterprise and i was a printer on the same paper clemens was writing humorous sketches but his fame as a humorist was young yet he was an inveterate smoker and smoked the foulest smelling pipe in virginia city by any odds clemens office was just off the composing room and although printers as a rule are not squeamish about pipes and things this pipe was breeding a revolution it smelled so infernally bad that we always spoke of it as the remains there were numerous plots suggested to get the remains out of the way but we hesitated about putting them into execution when we learned that it was a pipe of considerable value and one that he cherished on account of its association or something it was clear however that something had to be done and we finally concluded to present clemens with a new pipe 
we had suffered so much from the old pipe of a thousand smells that we felt justified in making him the victim of a joke if we could and so we scoured the town and bought the cheapest pipe we could find that would pass after night for a good one i think it cost thirty cents one night after we had the paper up we all filed solemnly out into the local room and presented clemens with the pipe we threw as much ceremony into the presentation as possible one of the boys made an address that was really affecting he talked about the toilers in the profession of journalism their long nights of labor when all the rest of the world was wrapped in peaceful slumber then he worked in some of the poetry about tobacco and the solace it afforded the tired brain he spoke of the warm friendship that existed between the local department and the composing room and hoped nothing would ever occur to sever their silken ties then he handed him the twenty-five cent fraud wiped his fingers through his eyes and sat down clemens was knocked completely out for a time but he pulled himself together and returned his thanks in a very feeling manner he said the pretty gift from his co-workers on the paper touched him deeply and he would retain it long as a souvenir of pleasant days the old pipe had long been a friend and companion it had been a comforter in lonely hours but this handsome gift from friends he loved made the parting easy and as a climax to his remarks he threw the ill-smelling old-timer out of the window we accepted his invitation to go downstairs with him and knowing the miserable swindle we had perpetrated every dollar he spent gave us a pang the very next night while clemens was smoking his new pipe the bowl of the cussed thing split open from stem to stern we heard him growling to himself and looking out of a hole in the wall through which he shoved copy we saw him brushing the ashes off his desk and clothes and swearing softly in a very picturesque manner he didn't say a word to us about the pipe or its fate and you bet we said nothing to him it was evident however that he had done some thinking for he appeared at the office next night complacently smoking the remains he had gone down into the back yard and hunted it up from virginia city mark twain drifted as a matter of course to san francisco the harbor of all adventurers on the coast he was in a chronic state of impecuniosity when he arrived at the golden gate he had furnished some correspondence to the morning call from nevada and to the office of that newspaper he immediately betook himself he wanted work and money he wore a ragged felt hat a soldier's blue overcoat and pantaloons which had formed a passing acquaintance with the tops of his boots george barnes who was at that time editor of the call told him to go to work the next day and gave him an order on the business office for money enough to make himself look respectable the next day twain took possession of his chair and for six weary months barnes tried to get some work out of him at the end of that time in his good-natured way he tried to let mark down and out easily and politely by saying to him mark don't you think you are wasting your time and talents in doing local work what do you mean said mark why i think with your style and talent 
You could make more money writing for first-class magazines than in such work as you are doing now. That means that you don't want me any more, I suppose. And he put his feet on the desk and smiled blandly at Barnes. Well, I think you are better fitted for that class of work. The fact is, you have come to the conclusion that I am not the kind of man you want. Well, if you will have it, said Barnes, you are not. You are the laziest, most shiftless, good-for-nothing specimen I ever saw around a newspaper office. I have tried for six months to get some work out of you and failed, and I have come to the conclusion that it is useless to keep you any longer. Barnes, replied Twain in his most placid manner, you are not as smart a man as I thought you were. You have been six months in finding that out, and I knew it the day I came to work. Give us an order on the office for three days' pay, and I git. One of the printers employed upon the call at the time furnishes the following reminiscence. One evening Clemens came into our room, where we were shining our boots. What's up, boys? he asked. Uh, we're going to the theater. Uh, but it's not seven yet. You've plenty of time, said Clemens, sitting down on the corner of the bed. I want to tell you a good story. And he proceeded to entertain us with an account of his latest practical joke. This reminded him of a personal experience on a steamboat, which in turn led to a graphic description of his life on the Mississippi. He talked on without pause, holding our closest interest, by his artful blending of humor, pathos, vivid description, and thrilling incident, until at length, breaking off suddenly, he said with a laugh, Well, boys, if you're going to the theater, it's time you were off. We drew our watches. It was eleven o'clock. His love for practical joking while living in California called forth the following from a San Francisco paper some years ago. There have been moments in the lives of various kind-hearted and respectable citizens of California and Nevada when, if Mark Twain were before them as members of a vigilance committee for any mild crime, such as mule-stealing or arson, it is to be feared his shrift would have been short. What a dramatic picture the idea conjures up, to be sure. Mark, before those honest men, infuriated by his practical jokes, trying to show them what an innocent creature he was when it came to mules, or how the only policy of fire insurance he held had lapsed, how void of guile he was in any direction, and all with that inimitable drawl, that perplexed countenance, and the peculiar scraping back of the left foot, like a boy speaking his first piece at school. It is but fair to say that the fun that Mark mixed up for citizens in those days was not altogether appreciated in the midst of it, for some one touched too sharply, Serge bat amari a liquid, and Mark had another denouncer joined to the wounded throng. I think I may 
justly claim to having kept mark twain in the realms of literature said general john mccomb to the writer not long ago in eighteen sixty four mark twain was city editor of the morning call in those days the city editor of a san francisco newspaper had something else to do than sit at his desk make out details and read copy mark used generally to look out for the late police news would report a lecture or anything that came to hand i think the local staff then considered of himself and one reporter things did not go exactly to mark's liking he detested police reporting and would not go to the city hall any oftener than he was obliged to he was out of his sphere he thought and as a consequence used to be dissatisfied with the world in general and newspaper work in particular one morning i met him at the corner of clay and montgomery streets we stopped shook hands and he said mac i've done my last newspaper work i'm going back east what do you mean i asked well he replied i've been trying to get out of this work a long while some time since i made application through some friends at washington for an appointment as government pilot on the mississippi river i have just received notification that my application was successful the salary is three hundred dollars per month and it is not hard work i was a great deal surprised and disappointed clemens and i had become warm friends and i had conceived a high regard for his literary ability although i could see he was more or less hampered by his surroundings i determined to do what i could to cause him to reconsider his determination with this object in view i said to him sam you are making the mistake of your life there is a better place for you than a mississippi steamboat you have a style of writing that is fresh and original and is bound to be popular if you don't like the treadmill work of a newspaper man strike up higher write sketches write a book you'll find a market for your stuff and in time you'll be appreciated and get more money than you can standing alongside the wheel of a steamboat there's nothing in this pilot business either you say you were to get three hundred dollars a month well, that's in greenbacks you remember now three hundred dollars in greenbacks won't go a great way as you know then again the war will be over in a little while and where'll you be you will be thrown out of government employ and you'll have to fight for work with a lot of older and more experienced men if you succeed what will happen you'll be a river pilot all the rest of your days and you know what that is no sam don't you drop your pen now stick to it and it will make your fortune he listened very attentively to what i had to say and i saw that i had made an impression he said he would think it over shook my hand and passed on down clay street the next day he came into my office and the first thing he said was now mac i've taken your advice i thought it all over last night and finally i wrote to washington declining the appointment and so i'll stick to the newspaper work a while longer 
on one occasion clemens was standing at the corner of clay and montgomery streets leaning against a lamp-post and holding a cigar-box under his arm mrs captain edward poole a very beautiful woman and as bright and witty as beautiful came along and stopped and held out her hand saying why mark where are you going in such a hurry i'm moving drawled mark at the same time opening the cigar-box disclosing a pair of blue socks a pipe and two paper collars he never cared for the ladies was in fact a fish out of water when he happened to be near them while employed on the daily alta he called at a dressmaker's establishment and for ten minutes addressed a wax figure of a lady before discovering his mistake in the spring of eighteen sixty five he became interested with bret harte in the conduct of the californian while sub-editor of that magazine he produced many sketches of merit which were widely copied in the eastern press in a series of articles entitled answers to correspondence contributed to the californian appeared the following simon wheeler sonora the following simple and touching remarks and accompanying poem have just come to hand from the rich gold-mining region of sonora to mr mark twain the within parson which i have sought to poetry under the name and style of he done his level best was one among the whitest men i ever see and it ain't every man that knowed him that can find it in his heart to say he's glad the poor cuss is busted and gone home to the states he was here in an early day and he was the handiest man about taking holt of anything that come along you most ever see i judge he was a cheerful stern critter and always doing something and no man can say he ever see him do anything by halvers preaching was his natural gait but he warn't man to lay back and twiddle his thumbs because there didn't happen to be nothing doing in his own especial line no sir he was a man who would meander forth and stir up something for himself. his last axe was to go to his pile of king's end caulking it to fill but which he didn't fill when there was a flush out agin him and naturally you see he went under and so he was cleaned out as you may say and he struck the home trail cheerful but flat broke i knowed this talented man in arkansas and if you would print this humbly tribute to his gorgeous abilities you would greatly oblige his unhappy friend he done his level best was he mining on the flat he done it with a zest was he a leading of the choir he done his level best if he'd a regular task to do he never took no rest or if twas off and on the same he done his level best if he was preachin on his beat he'd tramp from east to west and north to south in cold and heat he done his level best he'd yank a sinner out in hades and land him with the blessed then snatch a prayer and waltz in again and do his level best he'd cuss and sing and howl and pray and dance and drink and jest and lie and steal all one to him he done his level best 
whatever this man was sought to do he done it with a zest no matter what his contract was he'd do his level best october eighteen sixty five verily this man was gifted with gorgeous abilities and it is a happiness to me to embalm the memory of their luster in these columns if it were not that the poet crop is unusually large and rank in california this year i would encourage you to continue writing simon but as it is perhaps it might be too risky in you to enter against so much opposition the nomadic taint ran riot in the blood of both mark twain and bret hart and they one day deserted the californian and started inland for another delusive experiment in mining for gold on returning to san francisco clemens found his health failing and made arrangements to go to the sandwich islands as a newspaper correspondent before his departure he held his first interview with artemus ward the published report of which was widely quoted he sailed in eighteen sixty six for honolulu there was a wedding on board the vessel and mark gave away the bride the groom was greatly vexed over the absence of a wedding ring when mark reached up and pulled off one of the huge curtain rings large enough to go around the girl's two arms he held it in position on her finger at the proper time and as she was a remarkably pretty girl he took good care to exercise his privilege of kissing her at the close arriving in honolulu he proceeded to write up the sugar plantations and descriptions of life and character on the islands his letters were very readable they were mostly published in the sacramento union he wrote among other things a most thrilling description of a burning crater some miles round full of white and red heated crystal fire caverns and crimson lava there is a touch of wondrous beauty in his picture of the sandwich islands written some years after no alien land in all the world has any deep strong charm for me but that one no other land could so longingly and so beseechingly haunt me sleeping and waking through half a lifetime as that one has done other things leave me but it abides other things change but it remains the same for me its balmy airs are always blowing its summer seas flashing in the sun the pulsing of its surf beat is in my ear i can see its garlanded crags its leaping cascades its plumy palms drowsing by its shore its remote summits floating like islands above the cloud-rack i can feel the spirit of its woodland solitudes i can hear the plash of its brooks in my nostrils still lives the breath of flowers that perished twenty years ago and these world wanderers who sit before us here have lately looked upon these things and with eyes of flesh not the unsatisfying vision of the spirit i envy them that 
the climate of hawaii soon restored him to perfect health and after an absence of two months he returned to san francisco with renewed spirits and with his world-wide fame still before him end of chapter three read by john greenman